Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to be with you. Hello to all of you joining us at the West Campus, the South Campus, Hive, Converge, and streaming from wherever you are. So thankful that you want to spend a portion of your time with the Christ Chapel family as we worship the Lord and say goodbye to August. Uh, August is uh, quickly fleeting. It's crazy how fast time is going. Uh, but with August fleeting means that we are at the point uh, where we have that annual business meeting today at the Fort Worth campus at one o'clock. Uh, one of the implications is that those of you that are constitutional members, you should have received an email or a text that allowed you to vote for all of those elder and deacon candidates that will be affirmed at that meeting today at one o'clock at uh, the uh, annual meeting of the membership. Uh, if you didn't get one of those, there should be a paper copy, a paper ballot. I know you don't know what paper is. You're like, what? Um, but that will be outside of each of your venues if you did not uh, get those for some reason. So just go right out there. But with uh, August fleeting, that also means that fall is upon us and things are just getting busy. Would any of you recognize that things are just getting busier? Okay, yes, everybody is getting busy. All of those activities are starting up here in the fall. Same is true for here for our church ministry where everything uh, begins and it's uh, right here around the Labor Day weekend uh, that'll be next weekend. But as things get busier, some, one of the things that I notice around my house is that more clutter accumulates because the busier that you get, the less time you have uh, to do with stuff and as clutter accumulates, uh, you end up not having time to do anything with it, and so you just shove it into a drawer, you know, because you're like, I, I just don't, don't want to look at it. Or if things are getting really busy and then a lot of people are coming over or something like that, then you just shove everything into a closet, you know? <laughs> And, and as long as that door can shut, you feel good about it. And if things are really bad, then you obviously have a junk room, you know, where you just, you just, you don't have time to deal with everything. And so you just kind of shove it in a place that nobody can see. And then all the problems are solved. In, in fact, 88% of Americans admit to having a junk drawer. Do you have a junk drawer? Or maybe you're part of the 12% of liars. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody has these junk drawers. And the problem is, at least that I have found in my own life, is that when I have a junk drawer, junk closet, junk room, whatever it is, oftentimes I don't either have the time or take the time to go back and clean it up. That's why it ends up, these junk drawers, junk closets, junk rooms are called these cleaning black holes. This is obviously a cultural term that has been given to these things. That is a particular area in your home that you find impossible or overwhelming to keep clean or organized. Eight out of 10 Americans say they have a cleaning black hole where they live. They, they, are, just, they are so overwhelmed to look at that drawer, that closet, that room that they're just like, I cannot do anything with it. And we think it's okay because we can just shut the door and nobody sees it and we're fine. Problem is, when things are cluttered to that point, you can't use those things for their purpose. Can't use that drawer for its purpose, that closet, that room, unless the purpose is to, you know, accumulate clutter and junk. I don't think anybody built that house with that purpose going, this is your junk closet, you know, 
No realtors are selling those houses those ways. It just happens over a period of time, and we get so overwhelmed, we don't want to do anything about it, then you can't use it for its purpose. And the same thing that is true in your home is true for your heart. Because in your heart, you end up accumulating things that are junk, some things that don't belong, some things you don't take time to deal with, and you stuff them down or you try to keep them contained, just hoping that they don't seep out and no one sees. And you say, as long as I just keep it here and keep this part closed off, then it's not going to be a big deal and it's not going to hurt anyone. Well, the only person that's hurting is you. Because as long as your heart is filled with that clutter or that junk, then your heart can't be used for the purpose that God has for it. Because God wants your heart to be used for his purpose. He wants your heart to to experience the the love and the joy and the peace that, that he has paid for in full. But as long as you keep it cluttered up with a bunch of junk, he can't fill it with his love his joy, and his peace. So some of you might be thinking, okay, Cody, is this gonna be a sermon on how I should clean out my heart? No, because you can't. The things that are in your heart are so complex and some of them impossible to deal with that if you tried to do it, you would be overwhelmed, just like I would be. You need someone to come in and clean your heart so that it can fulfill the purpose that God intended it to to fulfill. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. It's going to be page 826 if you're opening one of those blue Bibles. Uh, There should be a blue Bible, whatever venue you're in, either underneath your seat or somewhere there. 826. We're obviously continuing our series inside out. And what I want you to see is to fulfill your purpose on the outside, Jesus has to cleanse your inside, has to cleanse your heart. And we get a great example of what that looks like in this passage in Matthew chapter 21. Now, just to set some context for you, Jesus and his disciples are going to Jerusalem. And we've talked about that. They're marching up toward Jerusalem. That has been his mission, and we found that turning point there in the middle of Matthew, where now he sets his face toward Jerusalem. If you've read the story, you know how the end of the Gospel of Matthew ends, so you know why he's going to Jerusalem. But one of the things you need to know about Jerusalem is that that was God's chosen city. That is the city upon which he chose to put his name. That's the city where he told Solomon he could build a temple for him, a place where he could reside. God said, this is where I want to build my house. This is where I want to reside. This is where I want to reside so that people can come here to meet with me. So when people say throughout scripture that they're going to Jerusalem, they are going to meet with God. That's the reason why they're going there. And when they go to meet with God, it's a place of worship. It's a place where they can make sacrifices. It's a place where they can remember. It's a place where they can sing praises. But this is a place where they commune with God. And so Jesus was marching toward Jerusalem, and he gets to Jerusalem, and he finds God's house. 
But what he finds is God's house is filled with junk. It's, it's cluttered up with a bunch of stuff that doesn't belong. And what I want to do is just read this passage because it's a pretty short section that we're going to be in today before we break it down, just so you have an idea of what Jesus found when he entered the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 12, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It's written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And then leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Bethany being just over the Mount of Olives, just not far at all. May God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. And so what I want to ask right at this point in the sermon, after reading that text, is this your Jesus? You know, when, when, we, when we read about Jesus or we think about Jesus, we don't think about rage monster Jesus. We don't, we don't typically think about him this way. We think about him as meek and mild-mannered. And so some people take this text, and I want to tell you one of the reasons why this is here is not because Jesus wants us to be aggressive. You see, some people have taken that of, oh, Jesus turned over the tables, man. He just let people have it. And so, man, I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to let people have it. You know? Well, why do you not want to be like Jesus in any other way? You know? <laughs> Jesus is not giving us an example of how we're supposed to act or react to when things aren't in the right place or things fulfilling their correct purpose. The reason why Jesus is doing this is one, because uh, he is filled with zeal, as the Psalm says, zeal for his father's house. He's jealous that God's house would be used for its purpose. And I think Jesus is making a scene for a purpose to draw attention to its misuse. He wants everyone there to see you are misusing the temple of God. This is not its purpose. You've cluttered it up with a bunch of things that do not belong. And so what I want you to see today is not just Jesus' actions, because those jump off the page. But what I want you to see is his intention. Why is he doing this? And what effect should that have on those people in the temple at that time, but then how does that relate to our hearts? What does Jesus want to do when he comes into our lives? Because the same thing that he wanted to do in the temple and cleanse it is the same thing that he wants to do in your heart and my heart, to cleanse it 
for a particular purpose. And so what we're going to do is I want to walk you through these things verse by verse and tell you how the temple was being misused. And then at the end, I want to relate it to our own hearts and give us some time for prayer. So let's begin uh, there in verse 12 where I want you to see that Jesus entered the temple to purify its purpose and realign his people. In purifying the temple, he wanted to realign his people because the temple was meant to where a place where God could engage with his people. And so if we get the purpose of the temple right, then the people can purely connect to God. That's what it says here in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple, finding it in disarray. He gets behind the closet door, behind the the drawer, gets behind these temple walls, and he sees that it's in disarray. And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So let me kind of set the scene for you there, because when it says that Jesus entered the temple, the way that it's phrased here in the Greek is actually he entered the temple site, because the site of the temple was much larger than just the temple. We have a picture for you to kind of understand what I'm talking about. So you can see there where the Holy of Holies, that's where they thought God's presence dwelled. That's, that was the most holy place. But then there was a courtyard around kind of that temple area where the smoke's coming up. That's where they offered the sacrifices. This is Herod's temple because it was during Herod's time because that was rebuilt from Solomon's time. I'm going into way too much detail here. But the court of the Gentiles, that is where, obviously, the people who were not of the Jewish faith could come. They could come and congregate there. They could look in to see what was going on in that temple court area. It was also the place where people who were begging could go. They could go into the court of Gentiles and beg. And it's also a place where the money changers were because they were selling sacrifices there. You see, when he says he turns over the tables of the money changers, the reason why money changers were there was because people were coming from all over to worship God. They were coming from these foreign lands and they had to exchange their money to be able to buy a sacrifice to offer their own sacrifice to God in the temple. And what there were money changers there to offer those animals and say, "Okay, you've got, you know, we need to exchange pesos into dollars or we need to exchange dollars into shekels or whatever it would be." And they were trying to exchange that. In fact, they exchanged them into shekels. Also, so they could exchange a, or, or exact a temple tax, a half shekel temple tax to pay for those things that were going on. Problem is, they were charging too much. The money changers weren't just a fair trade type of person here who had pure hearts that would just wanted to see people worship the Lord. No, they wanted to build their own mansions. <laughs> They wanted to to build their own lives, and they were extorting people for their money. They were charging people way too much for those sacrifices and when they exchanged the money. And we know that because of the particular animal that is pointed out here. What animal is pointed out there? A pigeon. Okay, and you go, why, why a pigeon? Weren't there goats? Weren't there lambs? Yes, but the pigeon 
was the smallest sacrifice that someone could make there. And so if you were very poor, that's all you could afford was a pigeon to sacrifice to the Lord. You couldn't afford a lamb, couldn't afford a goat, couldn't afford a calf, couldn't afford those other things. And so the reason why I think Matthew records here that Jesus turned over those tables and drove out those who sold pigeons is because he's pointing out that they were extorting even the poorest poor. The ones who came with pure hearts that just wanted to worship the Lord and all they could buy was a pigeon and they're charging them way too much. See, this is not the purpose that the Lord had set out for his temple. This was a place not for other people to profit off of and extort. This was a place where people were supposed to meet with God. You see, this was a place set apart for pure prayer but it had been overtaken with empty ritual. This was a place set aside to commune with God, but it had been turned into a place of commercial uh, transactions. Just this, I, I do this for you, God, and then I guess you do this for me. You see, Look at verse 13, it says, And he said to them, it's written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. A den is a place where people would hide. And so that's why he says, this is a place where you were hiding. You were hiding your hypocrisy here, even though you were a thief. You were extorting these people for money. That's what you had turned this place into, even though it was supposed to be a place where people could pray to God. I mean, now just, just think about uh, the scene that was going on. If this was intended to be a place of pure prayer, yet people are trying to exchange money and sell animals, and it turned into a place of commercialism, how hard would it be to pray? I mean, I don't know about you. I have a hard time praying when everything's quiet. I have a hard time praying when I'm alone. My mind begins to think of all these different things, and then all these distractions come in, and, it's, and you hear these bleeding animals and you, and you hear these people calling out, you know, come exchange money with me, you know, over here. Don't exchange with him or her, exchange it with me. And it, it's, it's, it's a market. It, 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 and that is not the reason why he set this up. It wasn't a place where people were supposed to come in and do all these transactions. With that amount of distractions, it had really turned into a place where you want to get in and get out. I mean, God, let me just do my duty. Let me get in and get my sacrifice and then offer it and be done and go because it's not a place of, you know, this sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Just get me out away from the crowds, man. And so it turned into this place of empty ritual, just transaction. God, if I, I did my duty and now I'm out of here. Not a place to sit and dwell, commune, abide, all of those wonderful words that Jesus wants us uh, to abide by in communing with God. And I'm convicted by this because how often do we treat our time at church or our time in the Word of God like this, transactionally? God, I went. I got in. I got out. What more do you want? I, I, I read my verses, and I'm done. What do you want? 
Well, he, he wants to commune. <laughs> he wants to converse. He wants to talk. That's why he established a relationship with you. It's not just about transactional uh, things that happen of you, tit for tat, you do this, and then he's supposed to come and do that for you. That's empty ritual. And that's not why he established a relationship with you, and that's not why he set up the temple. You see, the temple had also been a place that was intended to demonstrate pure power, but it was devoid of dependence upon God. It was a place to demonstrate God's purest power. In fact, we have examples in the Old Testament where the priests could not fulfill their priestly duties inside the temple because the temple was filled with God's splendor and they were so overwhelmed that they couldn't act. Like this was, a, I mean, this was pure power of God place. And it had turned into a place that was devoid of any kind of dependence upon God. Because when you have empty ritual, you have no dependence. The ritual is dependent upon you. Here's what I do, God, so therefore you better do that for me. Instead of, God, I am just completely dependent upon your power. You see, I think that's why uh, we have what we have here in verse 14, because what it says is that this is in the court of the Gentiles, remember? And in the court of the Gentiles, I told you, this is a place where people could beg. This was a place where people would come who were uh, disabled or, or blind or lame or mute. And they had probably come to this place so that they could experience this pure power of God. But there was a place that was devoid of dependence. God, God wasn't going to bless this empty ritual. And so all they got or all they could hope for was charity from people that were coming into the temple to offer sacrifices for God. You know, we're more charitable when we have God on the mind. You know, you think about being nicer to people when you're thinking about going to worship God. And so they would go, I'm going to go to the court of the Gentiles. Maybe somebody will throw me a shekel or two as they pass by. That's the best that they could hope for, was that they could beg, not that they could be healed, but that's exactly what Jesus does in verse 14. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. These people that had hoped to experience the power of God actually do, and there's two ironic things about this verse, just ironic to Cody, but first, it's Jesus is turning over tables. Like he, doesn't he seem righteously angry? Would you agree? And it's drawing people to him. Is that not odd? Like if I see somebody angry turning over tables, I'm like, I am not messing with you, you know? You back up. And this is a, oh my gosh, I gotta go to that guy. Because I think Jesus is demonstrating his authority my house. This is his house. He is God. This is his house, and he's cleansing it for his purpose, and one of his purposes is that people who need him can draw near to him, and it's drawing these people that are uh, lame and blind to him. The second ironic thing that I find here is that those who were disabled, those who were blind and lame and mute, all of those things, they could not enter the temple. 
They couldn't get anywhere close to it because the religious leaders, the priests had said, we don't let you go toward God. You are not adequate enough to go toward God, which is so stinking sad. And the people that the religious leaders tried to hold back from God are the ones that run to Jesus and he heals them. They're the ones that he interacts with because they are the ones offering pure dependence upon God. I've got no other hope. People have thrown shekels at me here and I don't want a shekel, I want you. I want you and nothing else. This place that was supposed to demonstrate God's pure power begins to when Jesus enters and people are completely dependent upon him. And then this finally, this place that was meant to offer pure praise had been tarnished by people who were seeking self-glory. These people that were seeking self-glory. Obviously, when you enter the temple, God's holy place, where God chose to dwell among humankind, this is about God getting glory. No one else. Look at what it says in 15 and 16. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, they had seen those healings. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Indignant meaning they were provoked to anger. They are disgusted that Jesus would do this. And they said to him, do you hear what these, I think he's talking about the children, these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Haven't you read Psalm chapter 8 verse 2? That out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Out of those who are completely dependent creatures, infants, babies, those are the ones that declare the praise of God. Just like when we are dependent upon him as his children, we declare pure praise. And that was trying to be squashed by the chief priests, the religious leaders. Why? It's almost like they're asking Jesus, like, do you, who do you think you are? Like, what do you think you're doing here? We got a good system. Okay, a good system where people profit. Yeah, the poor people don't get much, but they get a shekel or two here. I mean, everything is operationally fine. Leave us alone. And he's turned over the apple cart. He's completely turned it on its head. And now the ones that ironically should get it, the chief priests who knew the law better than anyone, they are asking him to stop and the children are saying, Hosanna, son of David, which Hosanna is such an interesting term. It's a, it, it has a lot of different meanings. It's a, it's a term of, of praise and declaration, of adoration, uh, which can mean like a glory to God in the highest kind of thing. But another way that that can be interpreted is God save us. That the children who've seen this kind of corrupt system, this thing that was not fulfilling the purpose. They weren't experiencing the power of God. They didn't have any peace with God. It had been empty ritual. These children are saying, God, save us, son of David. The one who was prophesied about, come and save us. 
Because this is not the way it was meant to be. You know, that, that's what we need. <laughs> you know, another thing I find ironic here is that when Jesus comes into the temple, does he ask for anything? Not one thing. See, it's, he comes into the temple more about what he can give than about what he's going to get. It's what he wanted for the people more than what he wanted from the people. He doesn't say, you guys weren't offering the right sacrifices. He says, you've turned this into something it wasn't meant to be. And I want that for you. I want it to fulfill its purpose so you, you can experience this pure connection and communion with God. See, the same is true for us. What he was doing in the temple, he wants to do in your heart and my heart. You see, Jesus enters our lives to purify our hearts and realign us to his purpose. Jesus enters our lives to purify our hearts and realign us to his purpose. See, the same reason why he goes in to clean out the junk in the temple, to, to, to clean out and get out all of that clutter, all of those distractions, is the same reason why he comes into our heart. And you say, Cody, that's a big leap that you make from the temple to my heart. Well, what you may not know is 1 Corinthians 3 says that your heart is his home. See, this is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. That's you. God doesn't reside in a place anymore. God resides with his people. He resides in you. You are the temple of the living God. For those of you that have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you have been completely forgiven of all your sins, and you are now indwelt, sealed, and baptized by the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity dwells in you. And the reason why he dwells in you is so that you can experience that pure communion and connection with God. That your heart, your life can fulfill the purpose that God has intended for you. The reason why he created you to fellowship perfectly with him. But we've cluttered that up. I've cluttered that up. I've junked it up. And that's why every day I have to go, God, cleanse me. <laughs> Purify my heart. Clean out that junk drawer. Clean out that junk closet. Because I've got stuff in there that doesn't belong. And as long as I keep that stuff, I can't fully fulfill my purpose and I can't fully understand the purpose for which I'm created to know God and make him known. Just, it's just not possible at all. That's why he says, you are God's temple. And I love how he says here, for God's temple is holy. Remember that word holy means set apart. Set apart for a specific purpose. You have a purpose. And as long as you continue to use that drawer, that closet, that room for other things in your heart, you're never going to understand the purpose for which he set you apart for. There's a great uh, song that has continued to come to mind 
um, that it was by a Christian artist. I don't even remember when, but this is probably 20 years ago now, which I know sounds really old, guys. Um, but uh, it's a song by Sean Groves, and it's called Welcome Home. And I want to read some of the lines from the song, and obviously it's not nearly as impactful as if you listen to it, but I'll read it kind of like a poem, and I've cobbled it together because I, I just love what he says as he uses this analogy of my heart being God's home, which is what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says. But Sean Grove says this, welcome to this heart of mine. I've buried underneath prideful vines. Take a seat, pull up a chair, and forgive me for the disrepair. I took the space that you placed in me, and I redecorated in shades of greed. And I made sure every door stayed locked, every window blocked, yet still you not. So open up the creaking door and walk upon the dusty floor. Scrape away the guilty stains until no sin or shame remains. Come inside this heart of mine. It's not my own. Make it home. I just, I love the sentiment that he's got there because we all have those places that we want to quarter off and say, Jesus, this is, this is not for you. <laughs> this is my place. And this is where I store my stuff but our entire heart is his entire home. And so let me give you three quick applications in a sense. And it's weird for me to even call them applications because it's nothing for you to actually do. Because what Jesus wants done in your heart, only Jesus can do. That's why I love that, that song where, where Sean Groves just says, open up the door like I've unlocked it. So that's why all of these applications are really just allow Jesus. Just, just allow him. Stop putting up a fight against what he wants to do in your life. So the first one is this. Allow Jesus to enter every area of your heart so you can be healed. Allow Jesus to enter every area of your heart so you can be healed. I know there are areas that are dark, that are filled with sin, but maybe even just hurts that you stuff down so deep that you don't want anybody to see, that you don't want him to touch. And yes, Jesus can do anything. Jesus can heal with a word. We see it in scripture. But let me tell you, nine times out of 10, here's what I see as a pastor. What you don't allow Jesus to touch, Jesus doesn't heal. What, what I mean is, if you, if you don't open that area to him, he, he, he doesn't come in and he doesn't touch it. You don't, you don't allow him to do anything with it. It's like going into the doctor and going, my arm really hurts. And the doctor going, okay, let me look at it. Well, no, you can't look at it. Well, hold on, let me see it. No, I don't want you to see it. It just really hurts. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? You would go, I want you to see my arm because it hurts and I want you to help, help it heal. Do I need a cast? Do I need, like, heal it, touch it. And those areas that you open up to him, 
He can heal. He can redeem. He can restore. But too often, we keep that drawer shut and that door locked. And we say, not in here, Jesus. This is my space. And this is hurt stuff. And you don't get to allow him in. Allow him to heal it, restore it. Second, allow Jesus to drive out anything that distracts you from focusing on him. Too often, I allow distractions to linger. And the longer you allow distractions to linger, the more comfortable they become. And the more comfortable you become with them. And sometimes we have to say, Jesus, drive it out. Just like he drove out those things that didn't belong in the temple. Take it away. Drive it out of my life. It's distracting me from focusing on you. And then finally, allow Jesus to overturn anything that would come between you and him. Allow Jesus to overturn anything that would come between you and him. You know, as I imagine Jesus overturning these tables, I imagine that made the money changers in a very, put them in a very vulnerable position. I mean, they're sitting behind the table. Jesus on the other side flips the table. Now it's just you and me. And do you notice he doesn't hurt anybody? Like he doesn't, he doesn't hit people. He doesn't do, like he's not violent toward anybody. I think sometimes we're scared to allow Jesus to come into our lives because we think he's going to wreck our life. He doesn't want to wreck your life. He wants to give you abundant life. He wants to, your life to fulfill its purpose. He wants to heal. He wants to make you whole. That's what he's trying to do. Would you allow him in? So we're going to take a moment right now to allow him in. If he said my house is supposed to be called a house of prayer, then I'd I think one way we can apply that is praying right now. So I'm going to lead us through a couple things to pray, just these applications, actually, so that you can say, God, welcome home. Okay, would you bow with me? Why don't you begin by saying what the children said and just say, Hosanna. You might mean that as a term of adoration, a term of praise, of glory to God in the highest. Salvation is God's, or you might mean it, God save me. Tell him, Hosanna. Now, is there a place in your heart that you've closed off to him? Would you say, Jesus, come into this area of my heart? Finally, is there a place that he needs to overturn or he needs to drive out a distraction? You might just need to say, Jesus, help. Take that distraction away.
God, we are your people, holy as unto the Lord, set apart for your purpose. May you purify and cleanse each one of us that we may fulfill your purpose and experience your power and your peace in our life. May each one of us say to you, Lord Jesus, welcome home. And it's in your name we pray, amen.